Hello, everyone. Seven Investing CEO Simon Erickson here, and thank you for listening to the Seven Investing Podcast. Our podcast is made possible by our subscribers who allow us to empower you to invest in your future each and every month. In exchange, we give our subscribers exclusive access to our monthly stock market recommendations from each of our lead advisors. To support this podcast and join other seven investing fans in our exclusive subscribers forum, where we discuss the latest market moves in real time, go to seveninvesting.com slash subscribe to subscribe to seven investing today. We're here to empower you to invest in your future. We are seven investing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of the Seven Investing Podcast, where it's our mission to empower you to invest in your future. You can learn more about our long term investing approach and also see our seven favorite stock market recommendations each and every month at seveninvesting.com. My name is Simon Erickson, and we're going to be having a very special guest to our show today. Dave Ahern is the co host of the Investing for Beginners podcast. Like Seven Investing, he's looking to go out there and empower individual investors to learn more about investing and also find stock market opportunities. You're joining me today from Virginia. Dave, real pleasure to have you on the podcast here today. Yeah, thank you, Simon. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm truly honored that you wanted to talk to me. I really do. We have a shared interest in empowering other investors. And perhaps let's chat at the 10,000-foot level about what got you into investing and maybe tell us a little bit about the Investing for Beginnings podcast and what you want to accomplish with your show. Okay. Um, yeah. So kind of how I got started in investing, um, and we can, we can talk a little bit more of this in the future, but, um, uh, I worked in the banking industry for a while. I was in the restaurant business for 25 years and I got out of that rat race and got into the banking world. And one of the things that they asked me when I first started working at Wells Fargo was, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? And I was lucky that I had a financial advisor that worked on my branch and we stuck up, we struck up a friendship. And he asked me about it, started talking to me about investing. And it just kind of really bit the, I got bitten by the bug very early on. And so I just started investigating and trying to learn. And I'm a very curious person and I love to, I love to dive into things. I, I, I view money investing as a language. And whenever I get hooked on something, I always try to really dive into it as deeply as I can to learn as much about it as I possibly can. So I didn't go to school for finance. I'm a self-taught investor. Uh, I've read all the the biggies, the Warren Buffetts and the Joel Greenblatts and you, you know, you name it, I've read it. And that's kind of how I got bitten by the bug. And that's really what spurred me to start the, well, start working with Andrew Sather, my partner uh, for the Investing for Beginners podcast. We both felt like for individual investors like us that we're not starting off with like gobs and gobs of money, that there weren't a lot of resources to help people start, go from zero to, you know, being able to work with a financial advisor, for example, at a bank like Wells Fargo, because, uh, as many of your listeners may or may not know, they won't, they won't touch you unless you have a certain amount of money. And so there, at the time when we started, there was a big gap, uh, there has been a lot more competition in the podcasting world and finance recently. But, uh, when we started, there wasn't much of the out there. And so Andrew and I felt like this was an opportunity for us to try to help people. And that's one of the things that I saw big time in the bank is that people need help. There's just, there's not a lot of resources. There's a lot of myths and misconceptions about money just in general and investing even more so. And we wanted to start off and try to help people learn what stocks are, how to pick individual companies and, and just get investing 
for their long-term financial health because there's there's a brewing crisis out there with people not having enough money invested for retirement and it it's 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 a big deal and it's not talked about enough but there is the you know the stats are out there that you know the average person has less than what $200 saved kind of thing so there there's a need for this there certainly is a need it's a noble mission uh, we're glad to tackle this with you out there and it seems like you've had uh, multiple different uh, evolutions of your career right from restaurants to the banking world to the podcast world and then also you know just kind of from being self-taught Dave, how would you consider yourself as an investor? Have you evolved as an investor over time? And what's oh, yeah. kind of influenced your own style for that? Oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, I have definitely, definitely involved. When I started off, I was all about numbers. It was all about numbers. I, I love numbers. I'm a musician by trade. And so that, that whole idea of structure, form, theory, numbers, everything making sense, that all really resonated with me. And I was all about that. And then I discovered guys like Charlie Munger. and it just kind of opened my eyes that there's a lot more to just the numbers. Uh, one of my favorite books out there is a, a book called Narrative and Numbers. It's by Professor Oswald Demoterin. And he talks a lot about combining story and numbers. And that is something that, along with Charlie Munger, have re has really helped me kind of evolve as an investor. I started off as very much a, a value investor, and I still would consider myself that. But I think before I was definitely more hardcore. It was all about margin of safety, buying cheap. And that was really the most important thing. And I think over the last three or four years, I've evolved where I'm more about trying to find a great company that I can find at a deal, depending on what the deal is, and trying to, you know, hold on to that for a long time. I've, I've literally not sold a stock in three years. So I just don't, I just, I try to find things and hold on to them. And so, yeah, I've definitely evolved from more hardcore numbers to there, there is, there is a story the numbers are telling, and I just got to decipher what it is. The The name of your podcast is the Investing for Beginners podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, just the name connotates that you might be going for uh, educating people that are earlier in the phase of investing, like you said, just getting started out. Um, is there something that that common comes up as a question from your listeners right now? Is there something that in the phase of investing that they're in, they keep asking you or they keep wanting to know about? Yeah, there's... Starting new. Yeah, there's definitely some themes that have that have kind of come up and have continued even even though we have talked about them just because there's uh, there's these misconceptions about money. And a, a lot of people don't really understand what it is when they're buying a company. They don't understand that when they invest in the stock market that they they are buying a piece of a company. So when you invest in Microsoft or Amazon or Nvidia, you're actually buying a piece of that business. You are now a part owner of that particular business. And a lot of people still look at them as tickers. And that was particularly evident during the whole, you know, run up in, in after the pandemic and the, you know, 2022 crash, if you will. And that was very evident. The other thing that's really seems to be common is people don't really understand the idea of investing consistently and continually trying to put money into the market and that you can't time the market. And just by trying to find good companies and buying them, you know, when you want to and trying to do that regularly and putting money into the market that over a long period of time, that's going to help you grow your wealth. And I think there's two, there's kind of seems to be two kind of dichotomies. There's a lot of people that get into the market to think that they can make it rich quick. And there's a lot of people that really during the pandemic and afterwards really dived into that. And since then, that has kind of 
morphed into, okay, I need to really figure out what I'm doing here because I lost a buttload of money on some of these really screaming high valuation companies that have not panned out like I thought they would. And there's a lot of people in the market that didn't realize that the market doesn't go up to the right all the time and that you are going to see volatility. You are going to see ups and downs. And so those are kind of the two or three things that have been, we get a lot of questions about those kinds of particular ideas of consistently putting money in the market, how to find great businesses and understanding what it is I'm actually buying. Those are fantastic rules of thumb. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to follow up on that perhaps and say that, you know, whenever you're trying to get into any new field, investing included, you have to expect there's going to be a learning curve. You're going to make mistakes along the way, right? Yeah. You're going to be a musician. You're not going to start on day one playing the, the solo to Freebird out there. You're going to no, have to you're play. not going to be Jimi Hendrix coming That's out right. of the gate. But right. even as much as we want to be, right? Right, you know? exactly. But, but let's talk about investing too. I'm sure that there's investing uh, mistakes that you make along the way. What would be a couple of perhaps your own mistakes that you've run into that you'd like people to know about that are watching the show? Well, I think there's two things that you can, you can definitely learn from your mistakes. And I think that's probably one of the best ways to learn is, is by analyzing the things that we've done and why we did them. So I can give you a couple examples. Number one, I bought PayPal. Uh, probably during maybe towards the end of the pandemic. And I paid way too high of a price for it. I think it was trading around 320-ish or so when I first bought it. And my idea was that, first of all, that the way we were going to use our wallets, our money was going to drastically change. And that has not come to pass. And so it does matter what price you pay for a company and you can pay too high of a price for a business. And PayPal was certainly riding a high of the pandemic and the way that people had to use their money to buy things because we were all stuck at home. And so that drastically changed. And so I pay too high of a price for that. And I learned from that and tried to pay more attention to valuation and understanding what it is I'm buying. The other I guess the other mistake I made was buying a company Intel and the, the semiconductor, um, you know, company. And really my mistake with that was really not understanding the cyclicality of the business as well as just not understanding semiconductor, the business and really where Intel was in the ecosystem and what was really going on with the company. The company is now trying to, I guess, evidence a turnaround. And as Warren Buffett has said many times, turnarounds don't often turn. And so I, I mistakenly, well, time will tell, I guess, but I believe that they were still such a monster that they could kind of withstand this and, and go through this turn without it affecting them too much. And one of the, one of my ideas at the time, which in hindsight was kind of dumb, was that they were spending so much on, they were spending more on R and D than AMD was generating in revenue. And I just figured that, you know, with that kind of investment, there's just no way they can fail. But I have learned since that it's not about the money you spend, it's how you spend it and how well you spend it and how well you reinvest it And management matters. And those things really kind of all coalesce to making buying Intel as maybe not a great investment for me. You know, time will tell whether you buy it at a lower price, maybe it'll turn out okay. But you know, at the $60, $70 price that I was paying for at the time, that was not a good decision. Yeah. So maybe to recap those, if I could, Dave, and tell me if this is correct, but it sounds like with PayPal, you really, the value investor came back out after you made the purchase 
you realize you might've bought it a little bit too spicy and you wanted to be a little bit more conscious about the price you paid. Yep. But then also with Intel, you said that you, hey, this is a really, really high quality company spending a ton of money has superior resources, but that didn't necessarily translate into the competitive advantage you were looking for. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's, that's a much, that's a much more eloquent way to say what I just said. I got to recap, but I got the benefit of looking back on what you said. <laughs> yeah. Well, perfect. Well, we're here with Dave Ahern in the second part of the program. We're going to go over a couple of stocks that he actually invests in and one that's on his radar and also some overall takeaways for investors. Come back in just a moment to the seven investing podcast. And we're back. Welcome back to the seven investing podcast. My guest today is Dave Ahern. He's the co-host of the Investing for Beginners podcast. In the first part of the program, we talked about some common investing mistakes and how to avoid those. In the second part here, let's talk about some actual stocks that investors should be considering. Uh, Dave, you and I spoke just before the program today. I said, hey, based on all of the things that have influenced you as an investor and the style of investing that you have, and we came up with one stock that, uh, that kind of is a good representation of your investing style. Uh, that was Visa. T tell us a little bit about why you like Visa as a stock. Oh boy, how long do you got? Um, I think uh, I think the biggest uh, one of the biggest reasons why I like Visa is that they are a company that they are critically they're critical to the infrastructure of the United States or the world and how we spend money and how we buy things, how we sell things, and they are the middleman between merchants and people buying what they want to buy, their products and their services. And they have developed these toll roads that are at this point seem to be unassailable. And there have been a lot of things in the recent years that have come for them, if you will. Uh, buy now, pay later was supposedly going to revolutionize how we spent money that has not come to pass. Uh, crypto, uh, you know, a few years ago was going to unseat Visa and, and MasterCard as the next way that we're going to pay. That doesn't seem to be coming to pass. Uh, the, I, I think one of the biggest regulation problems, uh, it, government regulation is something that does concern me. And that's more of a global issue than it is necessarily right here in the United States. And then there's also the, the other risks of things like, uh, fed now or the, uh, UPI in India, as well as the PICS in Brazil, those are potential up the you know, upstarts that could upend or, you know, take a dent out of visa. But just the fact that they have incredibly high margins across the board and they generate so much free cash flow. And it's, it's one of those businesses that my friend Braden, Braden Dennis of the Canadian Investor Podcast, he likes to say that Visa is one of those companies that the 10 people that work there can turn off the lights and the business can still run. And it's really kind of, it's really become this moat. Like when I think of a moat, Visa is one of those companies that just really springs to mind uh, as, as, a company that has a moat. When you think about valuation of the company, it's never cheap and it's never been cheap. And if you look over the last 10 years of the company, I think the lowest PE it's traded at is around 19 or 20. And it's generally in the mid thirties. So it's one of those companies that for a value investor, I may have skirted the rules a little bit and just buy it when it's, you know, I bought it during, I started buying it during the pandemic when it fell 50, 60% like everything else. And so I got a screaming deal on it, but even now I still continue to put money into it because I think the value of the company is going to be worth more even in the next five or 10 years. I'm glad you pointed out some of those risks, Dave, because it's, it's things that, you know, we naturally look at them and we think, oh, crypto is going to completely 
unseat this company like Visa, you know, or or like the other ones. You may not pay now, buy not pay later. Excuse me, the regulations. You know, there's there's a litany of of things that could potentially be risk. But like you said, I mean, Visa is well aware of these. Mm-hmm. They're on top of these things. It has not taken them from the dominant leadership that they have in the, in the company. It, no. It's funny how as investors we tend to convince ourselves that something is going to be the death blow. In reality, that's not always the case. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Even Visa, right? For example, they have created this this uh, a, a platform called Visa Direct, which allows them to transfer money, people to transfer money directly to their Visa cards. So in essence, it's it's acting exactly like FedNow or Pixwood, for example. And so, like you said, they're very aware of of the potential threats out there and they either partner with people or they come up with their own solutions to try to, you know, mediate or alleviate those potential risks. Dave, how do you think about valuation? I know there's a zillion different ways that people can, uh, can attack the valuation question, but uh, you know, when you when you say something like Visa's always expensive, but you said that you were going to invest it, how, how do you think about valuation when picking a stock? Well, as like everything in finance, it depends. Uh, so my general my general rule or philosophy, if you will, is I like to work with DCS, discounted cash flows. And I know that can be a, a bit of a triggering comment in, in the finance world, but I, I like them. Uh, they work for me. And I have studied at the feet of uh, Professor Oswald DeMotor and, and Michael Movison, and that's really how I learned evaluation. And those, those two gentlemen are some of the smartest people I've ever read. And I just feel like that the price you pay matters, and I have to work within those confines. Now, having said that, the more experience that I've gotten and and understand that the the cash flows that a company generates is really where the value is going to come from, and how I discount those and factor all those things in matters. But when you look at a company like a Costco or a Visa, uh, these companies that are always perpetually valuable or very expensive, the market is placing a bit of a more of a premium on them than they would be on, let's say, I don't know, you know, Wells Fargo or something. And so you have to, I have to kind of adjust my rules and think a little bit about those. But that, for me, that comes because I've been doing this for a long time and I've run thousands of of DCFs and looked at thousands of companies to try to gain that experience. And and am I perfect? Nope. Am I going to make mistakes? Absolutely. But um, for me, it's trying to be consistent and using the same system and method and then figuring out what I can adjust from there. And that's that's kind of how I try to view it. Let's talk about a company on your watch list. In addition to Visa, you also said there's another one you're learning more about. I'm not sure if you bought a position in this or not yet, but you said Nova Nordisk, you know, the yeah, insulin that's, maker. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, I'm a type 2 diabetic, and so that is something that is near and dear to my heart. Um, and so... I came across the company about a year ago or so, and the pharmaceutical industry is not something that's ever been on my radar. And I've frankly had stayed away from it because I felt like it was in the too hard pile. And once I started kind of diving into the company and learning more about it, reading through their financials, reading other blog posts by other smart people and trying to learn as much about the company as I could, I I really, really fell in love with the business. And and they have two particular products that are really hot on the market right now, which is Ozembic and Wagovi. And they are both originally designed as diabetic medications, but they've really been embraced as part of the weight loss movement that is really, it really started in Hollywood and has kind of spread outward from there. And as most things do in life, actually. Yeah, of course. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah, of course. But I, I think for me, 
Uh, I haven't bought the company. And when I first started investigating it, it was trading around $100 a share. Now it's in the $150, $160. So I'm certainly kicking myself for not taking the plunge then. But my holdup with the company, I think it's a fantastic business. I really like management. Uh, I love their their theory, their methods, what they're trying to do. Um, I love management's compensation structure, and they're really aligned with shareholders. Uh, their financials are fantastic. They generate tons and tons of free cash flow, great margins, and they have ton, you know, they've had great revenue growth recently. My biggest holdup with not pulling the, the, the trigger is I haven't been able to determine whether this is these historical growth rates that they're seeing right now. Is that a phenomenon because of the popularity of something like Ozempic? Or is this more structurally what's really I can expect going forward? And so I really struggle with that. And I haven't been able to assign a base rate. Like, what do I think this pharmaceutical industry can grow at? And that's, I guess, really my holdup at this point. I, I think it's a great company. Eli Lilly, too. It's, it's a fantastic business as well. But I just haven't pulled a trigger on Novo Nordisk because of that growth rate. I just can't wrap my head around it yet. Those are great points. So Novo, Novo Nordisk and Visa, the two companies we talked about. Maybe one final question as we're talking about stocks here, especially from an investing for beginners context, is perhaps um, myself is the example on this. When investors get new into investing in the stock market, they get real excited, enthusiastic, and put a ton of money back the truck in, a, in whatever, whatever company they're excited about. But maybe a lot of times it's a better long-term process to, to just kind of tiptoe in and add over time. I wanted to ask how you feel about allocation. Do you have any rules of thumb of how large a position can be in your overall portfolio when you think about risk management versus returns? Yeah. How do you think and about allocation? That, yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic question. I think the way that I have evolved, I guess, my thinking on this, right or wrong, is I have started to, to I guess, initiate smaller positions and kind of build into them uh, you, I, I've heard the term starter position, uh, referred so less than 1% and start a small position. Perfect example is Mercado Libre It's a company that I'm really interested in as well. And I started a very small position in, in, in them. And as I, now that I have skin in the game, I will start to do a lot more research on the company as I try to get more comfortable with that investment. Generally, I try to hold everything in the 5% range and whatnot. And my friend Brian Feraldi mentioned something to me. He said, I start out at 5% and then I let them grow into higher portions of my portfolio. And so I've done that with Visa. I did that with Berkshire Hathaway. I did that with Ajin. And now those companies are roughly in the 10 to 15% range of my portfolio. So those three companies occupy almost 45% of my portfolio. But generally, I like to hold things in the 5% range and then kind of build into it. And I think backing up your truck and putting 50% into Apple like uh, Buffett has done or like it's grown into, I, I can't do that. I can't sleep at night with that kind of thing. And I think, I think beginning investors, it's awesome to be enthusiastic about that. And like you said, backing up the truck and throwing all their money into, you know, pick company B. And I think that the enthusiasm is great, but I think it's probably better to learn your mistakes smaller and, and learn from those and try to build in into those positions. And I think that will keep people investing for longer because the, the biggest tragedy is when people invest and let's say, for example, they invested in Zoom in the, the pandemic 
and they were super excited about it and they wrote it all the way up and then they wrote it all the way down. And that can discourage a lot of people and they get out of the market. And I think that's the biggest tragedy is, is once they take the, 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 the step in that they don't stay. And what do you tell an investor like that? That's into zoom or that's gotten into GameStop or, you know, has gotten into, you know, whatever company, cannabis, whatever it is that, you know, mm -hmm. got out there, the hype is out there. It gets people enthusiastic about that. A lot of times there's lurking landmines and those companies that ride it all the way up and then all the way down. How do you, how do you reinforce to a newer investor that's gotten burned perhaps by something like that, that, Hey, there, there's a longer term path. There's a light at the end of the tunnel here. Right. I, I, I think it goes back to understanding the fundamentals and understanding what it is that you own and really trying to wrap your head around. Why am I buying this? What is this company? And there's nothing wrong with throwing, you know, some fun money, air quote, fun money at something like GameStop or Zoom or crypto or any of those kinds of things. But I think if you want to sleep well at night, you have to understand that investing in the stock market is a long game. It's not a short game. And the way that these vastly wealthy people have acquired all that wealth is through a long period of time. Elon Musk, one of the richest men in the world, he didn't acquire that overnight. And, you know, most people don't understand that Tesla has been around for what, 10, 12 years. And, you know, he went through some very hard times to get to where he is now. And it's not a quick game. Warren Buffett, you know, he, he generated the vast majority of his wealth after he was 50. And I'm not saying that to discourage people, but they need to understand that compounding takes time to, to impact your returns. And if you want to play in, in the sandbox and buy those, you know, more, I guess, risky investments like cannabis or crypto or those kinds of things, by all means, you know, scratch that itch. But then on the other side, if you, you know, buy, you know, I guess longer term investments like the S and P 500, for example, put the vast majority of your money in that and then play in and play in the other sandbox with those things, because that gets you excited. And then as you learn more, you can branch out into different things. But I think that's probably a good way for people to start. Any final thoughts as we close out here, Dave, any final things you'd like to say to investors in our audience? Um, I think the biggest, I guess the biggest takeaway is listen to what Simon's preaching. Uh, his, his podcast is awesome and he's got a lot of smart stuff and he and all the uh, contributors do a great job and, and they do a great job of explaining things. And that could be very helpful. I, I think the, the biggest takeaway that I try to help people understand is know what you're buying, understand the price that you're paying for it and be patient. Uh, you don't have to have activity for activity's sake. It's okay to buy a company once a month or invest two or three times a year, that's okay. You don't have to go out and buy and trade and have lots of activity. Over time, if you buy the right companies, you will do well over a very long period of time. And Dave, I believe if anyone wants to follow your podcast, can follow it at einvestingforbeginners.com. Is that the right web address? That's exactly the right address. Perfect. Well, Dave Ahern, again, the co-host of Investing for Beginners, a podcast that he hosts with Andrew Sager, his partner. Uh, Dave, it's been a real pleasure having you on the podcast of, of our own show here today. Thanks for being with Seven Investing. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it as well. Thank you, Simon. And thanks everybody for tuning into this edition of our Seven Investing podcast, where it's our pitch, where it's, it's our mission to empower you to invest in your future. We hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time.